from chapter first from chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. I really hope that that was a blessing to you guys. I know it was to me. Um, we really got a good look at kind of what we were talking about earlier in our prayer time, the importance of love in our relationships, but also how foundational love is to our understanding of the nature and the character of God. Without the example of sacrificial love that's ex expressed and exampled by Christ, we don't really fully understand what salvation is. We don't fully understand the importance of loving our neighbor. Love is the key to everything because our viewpoint of everything that we do in life starts from that point. This week, Paul's going to take us back into tongues and prophecy, but he addresses it from the perspective of the proper order in the church. All of our gifts, as we've been learning about up till now, is they're all given to us by God, and they're all given to us for a purpose, okay? We, we use them to glorify God. If we use them incorrectly, we detract from God, and we kind of put the focus on ourselves instead of on Him. As we read this chapter, we're going to look at some points, um, and we'll dive a little bit further into them, but we're going to look at building with gifts, we're going to look at benefiting with gifts, maturing with gifts, and lastly, we're going to deal with orderly use of gifts. So let's stand as we read. Um, I'm going to be reading the whole chapter, so we're going to be going through the entire chapter of 14, but it's, it's kind of that way because we want to keep it all in context. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds, himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So, you, with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if you do not, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for the believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there, on, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let, them, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the, as in all the, churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Amen. You may be seated. That last part, don't worry, ladies, we'll get into that. <laughs> They're all like, what? 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 So we read this first section, and it's a bit confusing, right? This, this is one of those passages that people used to kind of say that Paul is hard. Paul's hard to understand. He's, he's very difficult to comprehend sometimes. And, you know, I've, I've had people say that to me, and the reality is I don't find Paul hard at all. Paul is only hard when you don't read Paul in context with other things Paul says or with the other things that Paul has taught. If you read it in context here, the entirety of this letter, as we have done, all this will make sense, okay? I keep harping with you guys on why context matters. Our teaching today is, is huge for that. We just got done with chapter 13. That whole thing was the section on love. So if you're looking at that and you're going, well, how's that going to tongues and all this? It seems like it would be odd for him to just start going into tongues and prophecy. But, but 
Paul's concern here is that the people in the church were not building each other up in love. They were kind of using these gifts of the Spirit to, to prop themselves up instead of edifying the body. So if you read all this in context, what he's doing here makes perfect sense. And the other part is they were kind of putting themselves up as more spiritual than, than the other people around them. And that, that wasn't a loving thing as we talked about last week. Paul says in this text here that he wants us all to speak in tongues or better to prophesy. So does that mean that we can all do that? You guys, we talked about this earlier in, um, in, our, in our 1 Corinthians study. It would literally be the same as me saying, I wish that all the men in this room were six foot two and, and good, great looking. I'm getting all the eyes from the women. So, um, yeah, here, 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 here. So, what Paul's saying here is that it's his desire for us that we could do that. It, it's, it's not... A mandate that we all speak in tongues and we all prophesy to be very spiritual is is very important but because unfortunately there are some churches that make the claim that if you don't speak in tongues that you're not saved you can see where this could be an issue because that's not the context of what Paul's saying here we talked about this a length but we are given gifts according to what God wants us to do with them it's not up to us to choose. And I think that passages like this, if they're not exegeted properly, can cause a lot of harm in the church. And they, and they actually do. Um, the purpose of Paul writing this is to lift people up and build them up in a knowledge and show them a right and a wrong way for them to use the gifts that God's given them. Tongues is a hot button issue in some circles. And the reality is that Paul nails it here. He, he fully explains what's going on. Tongues are a spiritual language that you use to speak to God. It's not to speak to men. Tongues, um, we see when we were looking in, in, when we did our study in the book of Acts before this, you see in Acts chapter 2 where the gift of tongues was given to the people. What was that for? It was when all the people were in Jerusalem and they were there and they were speaking in their tongue that they had. It was, a, um, it was to testify to the glory of God to all these different people. That's, that's different than what Paul's talking about here. Ultimately, when we see tongues used, especially in church settings today, Normally, and this is what Paul's talking about here, in a church setting today, a lot of times we see it as, look at me, I'm speaking in tongues, and to the rest of us, we're all going, that's just gibberish. None of this makes any sense. The vast majority of times that I've ever seen tongues used in church, it's not done according to how Paul says, because there's never an interpreter saying what's done here. I, I literally watched a video the other day, it made me sick to my stomach. There was a church that had a whole bunch of kids that were probably five, six year old, five, six years old, and they were teaching these five and six year olds to use tongues. And I'm going, if it's from the Holy Spirit, why do you have to teach them? First of all. Second of all, at five and six year old five and six years old, 
very few children have actually had an encounter with the Holy Spirit at that point. So kids will do whatever you want them to do. And literally, they're sitting there just gabbering on. But it's of no benefit to them. It's, it's, if I sat up here and I talked in tongues for 45 minutes, you know what you all are going to do? Huh? But that's what was happening was the people in Corinth were walking around and using this spiritual language that nobody understand, and all it did was build themselves up. Look at me, I'm more spiritual than you because I do this. So think of, think of walking into a church today. Let's say you walked into Cornerstone, Wilcox, and you didn't know Jesus. You had no idea. You didn't know anything about Christianity. You just walked in here because, hey, let's, let's see what this is all about. And everybody in here starts murmuring, and they're talking in weird languages, and you're just like, what happened here? What is this? You don't understand. You have no idea what's happening. And you know what? You get frustrated and you leave. The witness of their actions was wrong and it didn't edify the body at all. Paul's not saying that speaking in tongues is bad. He's saying that he wishes we all did it. But it was the way that they were doing it that was bad. The gift of prophecy was better because that is used to build up the whole body. The context of prophecy here is not, Paul's not talking about in five years from now, this will happen. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about preaching the gospel message, saying and proclaiming the word to the people. That's what he's talking about. The gift of sharing Christ with others is greater than spending time speaking in tongues because preaching the word and teaching the word actually builds up everybody in here when they understand what's being said. Okay, does that make sense? So you're edifying groups as opposed to yourself. So Paul says that that's a greater gift because it, it edifies more people than just spiritually talking in a tongue that just is, is a spiritual language between me and God. So the issue again that Paul's bringing up here is an issue of the heart and a purpose. Why do we do what we do? Who are we serving? Paul saw the heart pointing inwards towards themselves here and was trying to point them to a better way of benefiting the body with the gifts that they were given. So benefiting with gifts is our next section we're going to go through. And when reading this section, Paul is again reminding us of what's ultimately our purpose in the church. It's to build up, train, and encourage saints to send them out with the gospel. That, that's the purpose of the church. So if people come to us and we start speaking tongues to them, they're not hearing the gospel. I, I have to speak to them in a way that's beneficial to them. I give them the word of God, but I do it at their level, not at mine. Speaking in tongues can mean more than a different language, okay? If I stand up here, if I, guys, if I stood up here every Sunday, and I used all kinds of big Christian words, and you're sitting there going like, what's he talking about? Does it make any sense to you? No. Who does that benefit? 
It makes me look all great and scholarly and everything, but does it, does it benefit any of you? No. I literally make an effort, and I try really hard, because I'm normally at that level anyway, but I try and teach at about a five, fifth grade level, right in that range, because for the most part, I want to hit everybody in here so that they all fully understand what's being taught. When, when, when I use big words with you guys, every single time I do that, I explain what it means because that benefits you. I want you to understand some of these things because that you learn, um, you get the message I'm trying to teach in a way that you understand it, especially... Um, when we're speaking the same tongue. It doesn't have to be a language. It just has to be a mental understanding of what's being taught, okay? So I, I've been at churches where the pastor speaks above the level of almost every single person in the audience. And that makes people go, oh, that guy's really, really super smart. But is he really? He just rambled on for an hour and no, nobody in the room understood one word he said. How smart is that? Um, our, our speech has to be understandable for us to encourage and to build each other up. A pastor that speaks, that speaks above the flock may as well walk in here and start speaking Russian. Because if you're not going to understand it anyway, at least sound cool doing it, you know? There may be some that like that lofty speech, that like the big words. And, and you know what, guys? There's small group type stuff for that. You, you, can, you can have a small group of the brainiacs, and you all meet on Saturday afternoon, and you ponder the life and all that stuff from your brainiac positions. Um, we, we may have some people that are new and don't fully understand. And maybe, if, maybe some weekends I do speak above them. I try not to. I, I really do try not to do that. Because we have a lot of kids in here, so I, I really want the kids to fully understand what's being taught too. But if we have a bunch of new believers, we, we want them to understand something. We start a small group for them. We can't build each other up if we don't get it, if we don't understand what's happening. Paul says we're foreigners to each other if we don't speak the language somebody understands. So what Paul's doing here, guys, is he's actually chastising the people in Corinth for, for what they're doing here because they're basically showing off their manifestation of the Spirit instead of connecting with people and making them understand what's the point of what's being taught here. So Paul, when he's done chastising them, he basically, well, he's kind of still in the chastising state, but he basically says, start using your brains too. It's not just about the spiritual stuff. So um, in verse 13, he starts saying that you guys, how many of you guys have heard this term before? It's out there in the mainstream churches called spirit-filled. You got your spirit-filled churches, okay? The concept is that we do everything in the spirit so that this, 
the spirit is so pronounced that it fills everything that's going on in the church, okay? That's kind of the idea of that. Typically, we see that in a lot of charismatic churches, um, and actually it's something that's very characteristic of what Paul's kind of chastising a little bit, is it's the outward, it's the overemphasized outward appearance of spirituality and they forget the mission or the goal a little bit and the problem is it's kind of like you guys ever walked into a club and everybody's kind of doing the same thing and you've never been there before so you're like you kind of just sit back in the corner you're like watching, going, what are they doing? And they're all doing their thing, and they're all happy doing their thing, and they're just continuing doing their thing, and they don't even kind of really notice you. And you sit back, and you're like, how, I mean, a lot of times they'll, you'll do it for a while, and then you'll leave. Well, a lot of times in a spirit-filled type environment, as you come in new, you don't fit in the club they've spiritually arrived, you're not really there yet. You don't fully understand what all this stuff means. Do you guys see how that would be harmful in a way to people that don't understand what, what there's, what's going on? I mean, it could be any kind of club, doesn't matter. But it's, unfortunately, what happens is, is it tends to exclude people who aren't like them. And you, you see a bunch of people who are kind of off on la-la land really focused on their personal encounter. What Paul is saying here is that the Spirit is there to guide your mind. Your mind uses what the Spirit gives you to communicate that with other people. Okay? Does that make sense? If the Holy, Reve- if the Holy Spirit reveals something to me, my mind translates that into information that's useful for you. That's how we communicate. It has to be relatable to be profitable. As, as pastors, like I said, I, we try and teach to about a fifth grade level because all of you in here are going to understand it at that level. If we have to get into deeper stuff, we can do that. Very few in here are below that level. But from the pulpit, at least, we want to get as broad as we can with as many of you as we can. So we, we gain maturity by learning how and when we bring these things up. So, you know what? I've, I'm guilty as all get out of this. There's Rambo. I'm guilty as all get out of this, guys. And this is bad, and I have really worked on this. Are you guys smart, biblically, some of you? Pretty smart? When you know a lot, you can really blast those unbelievers with your vast knowledge, can't you? Again, you end up speaking over them and you lost them because it's foreign to them. 
maturity is knowing when and where to speak. You can ask my wife. This one's always been tough for me. Because I used to, like John Rambo, I would sit there and I would, I would blast these people with a barrage of truth bullets that they could never under, they couldn't ever argue with me on. Just sit there. Yeah, take that, take that, take that. Put, I, just, I, I would literally put my truth bullets on rapid fire mode and just unload on somebody. And then I'd look back and go, there's a lot of dead people here. There is, <laughs> there is some serious carnage that happened. Because in my mind, I'm like, boom, 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 boom. And you know what? The reality is what I needed to do was pull back and understand where they're coming from so that I could better teach them. And I didn't do that. That's my fault. Just because I know what the truth is does not mean that they are ready to hear it. God's not doing the same thing in my heart that he's doing in your heart. And until we as people take the time to get to understand the people that we're conversing with, what you have to say to them is irrelevant and they don't care. That's just the reality of it. Long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. So we have patience to know that we aren't all the same. We grow together as we fellowship and we learn about each other. That's just the reality. We've been going through this, guys, all through 1 Corinthians. Maturity comes, when, as we learned last week, when we realize we don't know everything. Except Josh. We don't know everything. More importantly, as relational people, we don't know what other people are going through. We just don't. And, and you know what? I, I, I'm sorry to say this, and it kind of stinks, but the reality is, as Christians... We hide a lot of stuff from each other instead of being open and honest so that we can actually work on things together as a group. That's just the reality of it. The closer we become, the more we deal with stuff, the more we open up, and the more that works. It's, it's, but we have to have that, that maturity, that trust, that level of commitment to each other that that's how that goes. Maturity in Christ is learning to connect with someone in a way that you can reach them in their language, not yours. Okay? So I'm going to simplify tongues and prophesying for you all. When we present the gospel, share the good news, or prophesy, we are to do it in a way that they can take the love of Christ and understand it and have their own relationship with Christ. That's all it is. What we tend to do, we did a little bit with, we dealt with this a little bit with Todd White when we were talking about it. What we tend to do is tell people who Jesus was and what Jesus did. 
Okay? That's the vast majority of the gospel message that gets presented out there. What we don't do is we, we don't make it about God and what he did and why he did it. Why did Jesus Christ die for you? Prophecy in tongues is about saying the gospel in a way that people understand and it relates to them and it hits them. When they realize that they're sinners in need of a savior, it all makes sense. That that's the reason Christ had to die for them. Prophesying is preaching the gospel but we have to speak it in that language that people understand. So the last point here, women are going to like me when we're done, I hope. Um, before, I, before I get into this passage that all the women are going, that's sexist, I can't believe that Paul would say that. We have to remember this all in context. Okay, Paul's entire point in our text is the misuse of gifts and how it leads to disorder and confusion in the church. Paul's emphasis on everything in chapter 14 is about order in the church, not messing up people as they come in to hear the word of God. That's the context. Okay, so... There's, you guys, how many of you guys, be honest, don't, don't lie, put your hand up. How many of you guys, when you see something that's going on around you, just get, can, you, you get, get distracted and you kind of lose what's going on here? Yeah. So, I try very hard to make distractions go away because I'm the same way. It drives me crazy. When somebody does something, you, you just get lost. You get lost in what's going on. That's why... Every single time I pray before service, put all the outside junk away. Quit thinking about your phone and the washer and the, and the distractions and stuff that you, you think about when you come in here. It's very discouraging to come in here and you really want to focus on God and all of a sudden it's like, squirrel. And I, I, I have the same problem. I, I really do. And we've, you, you guys have all seen kind of the, the modern day manifestation of what Paul's talking about today, where you, you see church services where people are slain in the spirit, they're barking like dogs, they're flopping around on the ground like, you know, fish out of water. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So how do we preach Christ properly when we're flopping around out of control? Paul is saying that there's an order. There's an order to how things happen. And the reason is because he doesn't want us all distracted from God's truth being presented or spoken or heard. We, we don't want mayhem. We don't want chaos. We don't want these things going on in the church because... There's people here that truly want to hear God's word and they don't want all the distractions and all the junk. So, 
one of the things that I've said from day one is if, if I ever preach anything that's an error, bring it to me. Bring it to me. We'll talk about it. We will discuss stuff. We will go through whatever it is that, that's there. In the context of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul had already dealt with and addressed the behavior of some of the women in the church and how they were um, tending to take over situations in the church body. Okay? They were controlling a lot of their men in the church body. And Paul addressed this earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul gives a piece of advice in the end of our text here that is horribly misinterpreted by most people in the church. And that is that women are not permitted to speak, and if they want to learn, they basically go home and they can listen to their husbands. Okay? Remember the context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about order. So I want to go to the verses right before that and put this back into context for you. Starting in verse 31, it says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The women in Corinth were, disrupt, were disrupting the orderly process of the service. I've seen this happen twice in my life, um, where the pastor's up there and he's talking like this, rambling on like I do, and a, a woman from the audience will say, yeah, but that's not really what that meant. And as the pastor, you're like teaching from the Word, and you're like, what do you mean by that? And you know what happens? You start getting into an argument with the lady in the congregation. That's what Paul's talking about. So, it stops the preaching of the Word, it causes confusion for everyone here because everyone's going, well, what she mean by he's not saying what God said? And then they're all going, well, is she right? Is he right? Is what's going on here? And it just causes a big mess. I'm sure that there's been men that do it too. Paul's talking about the women in the church at Corinth that were doing this. Okay? So the point of... Paul saying this is that we just don't do something like that in the service the the context again I'm gonna beat this until it's in you guys horribly the context is that if we have want if we have questions and we want to discuss what is taught we go home as a husband and a wife, we talk about it. If we have a problem with what I say or a pastor or whatever, then we as a couple go to the pastor and say, hey, you taught this and I don't really understand this. My wife needs better clarification. Could you help me with that? That's order. Okay? You, we need to remember that and, and this happens a lot in certain very conservative church circles where 
they say that a woman's voice is to be silent. The, the reality is, is that God created women to be the missing part of men. Their voices are important. We need them to, under, we need them to understand who we even are. Because a lot of times we don't even get it. There's a way to do that where it doesn't detract from what's being taught in the church. And that's, that's what Paul's problem is here. So, again, I, I've, I've seen it happen in a few churches. I've had many couples come to me after service and say, hey, you know, this is something that you taught. I don't really understand this. Can we work through it? That's a proper setting. That's the way that we do that. As you guys can tell from when we're at church service here, women pray. Women do different things. We have women in worship. It's, it's, it's really out of the belligerence of the women in Corinth that Paul's talking about the issue here. Okay? I just, I, I hope that that makes sense because everything we do in church should be about proper order giving glory to him not to what's going on here it's all about service it's all about service and and glory to god if we make it about us it detracts from him okay so god god wants his gospel message spread he wants his love shared he wants his light as you prayed for earlier he wants his light shown to the community around us we use the gifts that god gives us for that purpose and we use them in a way that brings glory and honor to him and we do it in an orderly fashion so that when somebody comes in here it, it's not about us it's about him it's all about glorifying god we never want to be in a position where we distract or detract from the Word of God. We want people to come in here and feel the love, see the love, and understand what it's all about. If we're all in here just going, blah, 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 blah nobody gets it. Nobody understands. We, we talked a lot about tongues earlier when Paul was actually addressing the gift of tongues, but, but I'm, I'm hoping that you guys understand how it's not, it's, again, it's not that it's bad. There's a place. And it's typically not in the middle of a service because it just detracts from what's going on in the service. Does that make sense? Let's stand up. We'll pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word.